Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from China. China's economic expansion moderated in the third quarter, the first time it has done so since early 2016, and analysts expect the slowdown to continue as investment growth cools and the government maintains curbs on the property market. GDP in the world's second-largest economy rose by 6.8% year-on-year in the July through September period, matching the median estimate in a Bloomberg News survey of economists. Growth edged down from the 6.9% pace seen in the first and second quarters, but still exceeded the government's full-year target of, quote, around 6.5%, unquote. The 19th National Congress of the Communist Party kicked off last week with a three-hour, 23-minute speech by party chief Xi Jinping that heralded a new era for socialism as the country forges ahead with modernization. Data shows that the most frequently used words in the speech were develop, people, build, and socialism. Meanwhile, a new set of words that weren't in the 18th National Party Congress address five years ago had made their way into Xi's speech script this time. These include his well-known phrase, Chinese dream, and terms that hinted at the future pillars of China's economy, including big data, artificial intelligence, think tank, sharing economy, green and low carbon, and digital economy. The World Bank's former country director for China has defended the organization's lending to Chinese provincial and local governments. Yukon Huang, who now serves as a senior fellow at the Carnegie Asia Program, made the remarks after reports said the U.S. has rejected a capital increase plan for the multilateral lender because of dissatisfaction with its loans to wealthier countries, including China. The provincial and local governments need the World Bank loans because structural impediments prevent domestic banks from providing sufficient credit to finance public projects, Huang said. Chinese governments that borrow from the World Bank benefit from the support, Huang told Caixin. For example, he said, loans help agencies finance public services without having to rely so much on land sale revenues. World Bank loans also help those governments improve their debt management. 
Apple said chip supplier Qualcomm's lawsuit aiming to ban the sale and manufacture of iPhones in China was meritless and will fail. Qualcomm's complaints, filed in the Beijing Intellectual Property Court and accusing Apple of infringement on three Qualcomm patents, are the latest developments in a legal battle between the two that began in January. The patents involved in the case include power savings and force touch technologies that are a part of current iPhone models, a Qualcomm spokesperson said. Apple is using technologies invented by Qualcomm without paying for them, according to the company. Apple told Caixin that these patents have never been discussed and in fact were only granted in the last few months. China is essential to Apple. It is the company's single largest overseas market, with net sales from Greater China accounting for 23% of the company's sales in the last fiscal year. Former Minister of Justice Wu Aying has been expelled from the Communist Party of China, according to a statement following a plenary meeting of the party's central committee. Wu, 65, stepped down quietly from her post in February as authorities announced that Zhang Jun, former deputy chief of the Communist Party's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, was taking over her post. There have been no reports about Wu since then. The Central Committee statement last week did not disclose any details of Wu's wrongdoings except to say serious breach of party discipline. Wu was elected as a member of the Communist Party's Central Committee in November of 2012 during the 18th National Party Congress. She is among 12 Central Committee officials who were expelled from the party, as announced by the committee's plenary meeting last week. A total of 18 Central Committee members have been put under investigation for corruption since late 2012, according to official reports. Let's turn now to a couple of editors at Caixin Global for a deep dive into some of the stories from the week. First up is Purnima Weerasekara, who has a story from the front lines of the wealth gap in China, proving that it's hard to get the Gini coefficient back into the bottle. So Purnima, what haves and have-not stories do you have for us this week? This story talks about a standoff between two groups of neighbors. One, a set of rich homeowners, and the others are those who have got access to low-income housing from the government or young graduates who are being brought into the city under these talent programs who can't afford the sky-high rents in the city and have also gone to living in these cramped small apartments. The problem is that these neighbors live side by side. And unfortunately, many developers who are developing massive villas and condominiums are also asked by local governments to develop low-cost housing right next to these expensive 200-square-meter homes. And the problem is most developers don't tell their rich clients that they're going to have poor neighbors. And they try to hide this by putting up an ugly grey wall or sometimes they're more subtle, they put up a green barrier and try to hide the poor neighbors. Now the case is, the poor neighbours are saying, our quarters are cramped, we have no green space, we have no parking, but we are entitled to the public facilities that our rich neighbours have. So break this wall down, take out these green barriers and let us, you know, let our children also play with the rich kids. And the rich parents say, hey, look here, we paid more than five to six times per square metre for our big houses and we ain't letting your kids play with ours. So is, is this a trend and there are these wealthier people just being insufferable snobs or, or is there more to it than that? So this is becoming a bigger trend as more local governments push developers to build more low-income homes in the same plot of land that has been earmarked for high-end villas or condominiums. Now, are these rich neighbours being snobby 
Not necessarily. They're not just saying, hey, our kids will learn bad words and swear words from children who aren't being shuttled to very expensive tuition classes. They're, they're also really afraid that their house prices, their house value would actually go down if these barriers are broken. And they say, we have paid extra, not just for the homes that are 200 square meters, but also the public facilities that come with them. So because we've paid a premium, we get to keep the green spaces for ourselves. And another issue is that local governments don't have guidelines when it comes to public amenities for low-income homes. That's why most of the low-income houses are so cramped. And, and what do you see as some possible solutions for this? So perhaps an alternative solution would be for governments to come up with actual standards to say that, hey, although these homes are low-income, they also have to be livable. Thanks a lot, Pranima. Thanks, Kaiser. Let's turn out to Doug Young, senior editor at Caixin Global. So, Doug, Caixin Global ran a story I want to ask you about, about the company Chudian that just had an initial public offering in New York. Tell us about Chudian. Chudian is, is uh, one of these companies that's broadly called fintech, financial technology. And they're companies that basically combine an element of usually of the Internet with finance. So in Chudian's case, what they do is they're, they're a micro lender. They lend very small quantities, usually about 1,000 renminbi on average, which is about $150, and also for very short periods of time. It's a little bit like a credit card, if you think of it that way. And uh, they lend to people for you know maybe just a few days at a time, and they do it all over the internet. They use credit scoring technology to try and uh, evaluate people's credit worthiness. And obviously, if you're a repeat lender, they use your credit record and so forth. So that's what Chudin is. These companies are very aggressive. They're much more entrepreneurial and they, they really go after you know ordinary consumers, whereas the big old state-run banks uh, tend to be much more focused towards state-run enterprises and don't have much of a consumer focus. So these private fintech companies have really been growing fast by tapping into sort of private business and, and consumer demand. Basically, Chudian just did a, a massively successful IPO, the biggest IPO by a Chinese fintech company in the U.S. to date. Uh, they raised $900 million and it'll probably end up going to a billion dollars, which is quite a large sum of money. Uh, and this IPO was just hot from the get-go because this is the first first major Chinese. There have been a, a couple of small China fintechs, but this is like the first major player in that space to go public in the U.S. And their growth is just phenomenal. If you look at the uh, prospectus, um, their their profit is is just growing, like doubling and tripling. And, and it, what's uh, equally amazing is that something like 70% of their revenues are profits, which is a huge amount. Usually, you know, you're lucky if you get 20% of your revenue is profits, and these guys are getting like 70%. So anyhow, they did an IPO, uh, it was hugely oversubscribed, and they actually raised the price below uh, above their previous target because uh, demand was so strong. And then when it actually started trading, the stock went up another 20, 22%. Thanks, Doug. Let's talk about another story you've got for us about golf, the, the game of golf and golf courses. Uh, we're always hearing about some ban or another. What, what's up with golf in China these days? Uh, yeah, golf has sort of become the the pariah of the day, the black sheep of the day. Uh, if we look back just probably three or four years ago, it was just the opposite. Golf was the 
sort of the the flavor of the day. Uh, and of course, anybody who follows China knows the story is that Xi Jinping, the current president, has launched this big anti-corruption, anti-frivolousness uh, excess campaign. And, and golf has definitely got a reputation as sort of representing excess and wealth and showiness and stuff. So golf went from being the hot ticket. Everyone was building golf courses five years ago. Uh, and now suddenly they've slammed the brakes on things. They've actually closed down about 100 golf courses this year. And one of the stories we zoomed in on this week was Wanda, which is one of the big real estate companies. They just got caught up in this crackdown, if that's what you want to call it, uh, up in Jilin province. They had three golf courses that they're saying were like really world-class designed by some of the best designers in the world. And guess what? They're not going to be hosting golfers anymore. Okay, interesting. Finally, before we let you go, catch us up on the latest in the long-running battle between Qualcomm and Apple in Chinese courts. What's the latest development in this saga? Yeah, the development here is just all about this. You're right. This is a a very long and ongoing spat. The the deal is that Qualcomm is basically this very pioneering developer of of telecoms patents and technology. Well, they didn't develop the patents. They developed the technology and they patented it. Apple is the, you know, the newer kid on the block in terms of telecoms. Uh, iPhone is only 10 years old. And... Apple is actually not the only one. A lot of companies say Qualcomm is just too restrictive. It, it claims to have rights over every bit of, because a lot of it's very basic uh, telecoms technology is embedded, you know, from the earliest telecoms generations. And, and people are saying, well, gee, that's 20 years ago, you know, uh, is that really still a valid patent? And anyhow, that's, that's the history. So Apple thinks Qualcomm Apple and a lot of other companies think Qualcomm is is a little too assertive with its patents. Qualcomm says, no, we developed this stuff. So the two of them are sort of suing each other back and forth. Uh, Apple saying Qualcomm abuses its market dominance and Qualcomm fights back and says Apple's not is violating our copyrights. And uh, so they've bought their patent battle to China. Uh, because China is such an important market. And, and the latest development there was that Qualcomm sued Apple in China. And this is after Apple had already sued Qualcomm in China. So it's a, a countersuit, essentially. And, you know, China's a huge market. So they're trying to prevent Apple from selling iPhones in China. And Apple has put out their own statement saying this lawsuit is destined to fail, you know, there. But I mean, if if they were stopped from selling in China, it would be obviously a huge loss. Great. Well, thanks as always. And we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current fair show I host with Jeremy Goldcorn. And follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for a free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. Take care.